Welcome to episode five of the Brave Ideas for Social Change podcast series, produced by the University of Denver Graduate School of Social Work, which is celebrating its 90th anniversary this academic year. The series draws on GSSW faculty expertise for fast-moving discussions on emerging research, practice, and policy innovations in order to spur social change. Today's faculty expert is Associate Professor Shannon Slipa, whose research and scholarship explores how restorative, collaborative, and creative approaches can facilitate justice and healing. She is the Director of Research for the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and is co-leading a multidisciplinary University of Denver team working to advance prison reforms in Colorado and across the nation. Thanks for joining me in this important discussion, Shannon. Thanks so much for having me, Amanda. Much of your work has focused on restorative justice. So let's start there. Let's help our listeners understand what it is, what it isn't. Can you give us an overview? Yeah, sure. Um, People are talking about restorative justice more and more these days, and it's used to describe a lot of different things. In general, restorative justice is a philosophy that says we get justice when we repair the harm. This is in contrast to some other accounts of justice, for instance, those that say we get justice when someone serves their time. As we zoom in though, restorative justice is not only a philosophy, it's also a set of practices that can be used to invite accountability and repair harm whenever harm happens. So usually those practices involve people in a community meeting together to discuss what happened, who was impacted by it, who is responsible for repairing it, and what can be done now to make things right. So just an example, a victim of a crime might choose to participate in a community conference where the person who harmed them and some of each of their family members and neighbors come together and they talk about how they were affected by what happened and create an agreement for how to repair things. So those agreements might include things like paying someone back or completing repairs, but a lot of times the people who have been harmed come up with more creative requests So in one case here in Colorado, the victim asks the driver in an intoxicated driving case to hold a blood drive with them. What's most important for people to understand is that restorative approaches to justice aren't just these like soft, squishy spaces for hippies and social workers where we all just talk it out. Meeting face to face with the person you've harmed or the person who has harmed you, it's incredibly difficult. And that's why we often don't do it. So much of restorative justice depends on relationships, but our current carceral system de-emphasizes community and actually breaks down relationships. How do we begin to think about justice differently? I really think this is the biggest challenge we are facing in this moment. Adrienne Murray Brown says that the health of the cell is the health of the species and the planet, or in other words, the whole is a mirror of its parts. So as much as we can and should criticize institutions like courts and prisons, we also have to recognize that we created them and we imbued them with power. They are a replication of the problematic ways that we relate to each other in our communities. We actually use separation and isolation as ways to protect ourselves all the time, like cutting off a relationship that feels harmful rather than seeing if it can be repaired. I think if we're honest, there are plenty of times that we would rather see punishment than to see something repaired, at least at the beginning. 
What's also really scary is that if we aren't careful, our organizing and activism can replicate the systems that they seek to change. So for instance, like we love to critique the war on drugs and the tough on crime era. We realize that passing more laws, using top-down tactics to try to control people's behavior, that that didn't really work. It didn't help people heal or get out of poverty or address the root causes of violence and addiction. Yet we can be really eager to execute our vision of social change by legislating it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't address policy change as part of our advocacy efforts, but I am saying that we have to recognize that policymaking alone is not going to fix the mess that we're in. So we have to learn to deal with one another. We have to build communities that model the social structures we say that we want. I love what you're describing. It actually sounds a lot like other initiatives that are underway at our school, like a growing emphasis on collective care. Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, Doing the work to be in relationship with each other, to deal with the harm that we are inevitably going to cause each other because we are all very flawed human beings. I think that doing that work is an act of love and it's really our work to do. No one can do it for us. Police, courts, prisons, they can intervene in a moment of crisis, but they don't offer repair and they don't create healing. Decades ago, uh, sociologist Niels Christie was writing about the ways that we have become reliant on professionals in the justice system to take away our conflicts and solve our problems. So we may feel safer, but it's a false sense of safety because the harm is still there and the harm is getting replicated and multiplying inside these systems that are not focused on healing. I love where this conversation's going. It gets at the heart of something we talk about a lot at GSSW, which is the over-professionalization of social work. When you think about the future of social work and the context of this important work you're doing around the criminal legal system and these alternative visions of connected communities that center justice and healing, where does social work really fit in? Yeah, we totally have to look closely at ourselves, right? We are among those professionals that Christy talked about. Professionals who are arriving on the scene to treat social problems and save the world. And I think we have to take a hard look at whether the services we provide empower or disempower. When we are working with communities, we have to understand that they have the wisdom and the will to repair what has been broken. They may need some support, Yeah, so I think we can give them the resources and the strategies that they need to enact their liberation and then, you know, maybe get out of the way a little bit. We can also help by removing barriers for them, creating healing spaces where they can do their work both physically and metaphorically. That is going to mean seeking structural change, but with the recognition that we aren't going to legislate our way to peace. So we have to tend to what is broken, and that is our relationships with one another. Relationships, community, we keep coming back to that. Community is a focus of your current research at the Sterling Correctional Facility. Tell us a bit more about that project and what you're learning, both as a social work researcher and as a human. Oh my gosh, for the past year, my team has been working out at Sterling uh, to do some really deep community-engaged research focused on understanding both the prison environment and how it's impacting incarcerated people there, as well as the organizational structure and what's going on with staff who work in this institution. 
The research that we're doing now is the beginning of a much longer change effort that will involve collaborative meetings to prioritize and problem solve the issues that come up in the data. It's really unique because we are working directly with groups of incarcerated people and with groups of prison staff to formulate both the research questions and to plan for change together. And it's really sticky. I don't know how else to say it. It's complex. We are operating under the idea that decision makers and impacted people, so incarcerated people, can collaborate at some level to create better conditions. But there are power dynamics that are impossible for us to ignore. You know, I guess at this point, the biggest thing I'm learning is that the complexity of this institution and how people participate in it and experience it is so much beyond what I even imagined. It's something that restorative justice teaches me all the time, which is that harm and humanity exist side by side. So I just, I feel incredibly grateful for the conversations that I'm having, especially the really challenging ones, because they remind me that none of this is simple. And to say that it is, is to lack humility, I think. For those of us who aren't working directly in the realm of the criminal legal system, what lessons can we take from restorative justice and apply to our own work and lives? Oh, so many lessons. For those of us who work in it and practice it, restorative justice is a way of being, a way of living. While the word is relatively new, the practices aren't. Many of them are continuations of the practices of indigenous people around the world and across time who did justice in a very collective way. And in essence, restorative justice is premised on the understanding that we are all connected, that everything we do impacts everyone else in the community. So even if we try to toss somebody out of our community, that broken thread, that missing person, just leaves painful ripples and scars throughout the community. This doesn't just have implications for the justice system, right? It has implications for how we interact with each other every day. So by taking a restorative approach in your life, you agree to notice how you impact people, to take accountability when you impact someone in a negative way and ask what you can do to make it right. And because you understand that the web connects all of us, you think not only about what you personally may be responsible for, but also your collective responsibilities. So for instance, you know, as a white person in the United States, understanding my impact on Black Americans and my role in repairing that collective harm of shadow slavery is a part of my restorative work. All of these things are incredibly difficult things to do, like really, really difficult, And they are daily acts of love and liberation that anyone can practice in their daily life and grow in over time. Shannon, I so appreciate you. This has been an enlightening conversation. I'm grateful for your leadership at the school and across the entire profession. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Subscribe to our Brave Ideas for Social Change podcast for more conversations like this including an upcoming discussion about the evolution of GSSW and its legacy of social justice. Learn more at socialwork.du.edu forward slash change. For more information on the history of GSSW and what the next 90 years have in store for the school and the profession of social work, visit socialwork.du.edu forward slash next 90.